You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Today we're going to be reading Matthew 15:39 through 16:12. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Megadan. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. He answered them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right, why don't we pray as we dig into this together. Father, we are grateful for your word that it brings truth and clarity and wisdom. And we confess that we live in a world that is full of so much information, it's really hard to sift through it and find where it's in alignment with your word or where it's not, to find where there is true wisdom and where there is not. And we need your help that we might see Jesus more clearly today, that we could see your vision for your world so that we don't get sucked into the lies of the culture around us, but that we might believe in him, that we might embrace him. We pray that you would not just give us this revelation today, but that you would transform us to love what you love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a kid, I had quite the imagination, as most kids do, right? 
And growing up in the 80s, like most of my friends, I got completely obsessed with fancy Italian sports cars. Anybody else from that era? That, that I had to have a Lamborghini Countach. Anybody else from my, yeah. Uh, I mean, look at that, that's gorgeous, look at that thing. Look at how powerful that is. Uh, and, and one day I'm hanging out with my best friend and he's telling me about the Lamborghini Countach and he says, Joel, you know how incredible these cars are? And I said, yeah, they're, they're just amazing. He says, they're the fastest cars in the world, Joel. It's like, really? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. He says, yeah, they can go 5,000 miles per hour. It's a true story. I was like, they can? That is fast, you know? And so what do I do? I come home and I'm talking to my mom and I was like, mom, I need to get a Lamborghini Countach, you know? And, and she says, okay. And by the way, I should probably say, I was probably, I don't know how old, maybe six, eight years old, somewhere in there, right? Tell my mom, they're the fastest cars in the world. Oh, really? That's cool. Yeah, mom, they can go 5,000 miles per hour. <laughs> she just looks at me. She's so gentle, so generous. She says, Joel, that's not true. <laughs> and it turns out she was right. <laughs> I don't know if you guys are aware of this yet. You need to know it cannot go 5,000 miles per hour. I thought my mom didn't know anything, but I was wrong. Now, that's a funny story. There were a lot of other not funny stories of things that bear a lot more weight in life that my friends taught me as a kid. I don't know if anybody else experienced this growing up on the playground, but I'm telling you, I, I learned all kinds of things I shouldn't have learned that took me many years to unlearn. I, I think especially about things that shaped my view of myself, of sexuality, things that I carried with me into adulthood, things that took me years of trying to faithfully follow Jesus for me to unlearn and to, to overcome by His Spirit. Maybe you've experienced something similar to that. And I think what it draws our attention to, what it points us to is the fact that lives can, sorry, lies can infect our lives. Like a yeast and flour, once those things have been intermingled with our souls, it's, it's nearly impossible to separate the two. And we know that in an internet age, we've got this greater susceptibility, I think, to believing lies. And when I say that, I don't necessarily mean the issue of you know, hearing things in the media and, and in the news and believing false things that are tr not true. That, that's a major problem in our day, as we all know, but, but that's not necessarily what Jesus is actually addressing today in the teaching that he's giving. It's more about teaching that masquerades as teaching from God, but that actually contradicts the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is our true teacher, and so we've got to beware of teaching that contradicts him. That's the big idea in the text today. And, and today's story, 
It takes place immediately after Jesus has fed the 4,000, which we remember, you might remember if you were with us when we looked at that a number of weeks ago. It wasn't just 4,000 because it also included women and children. I mean, we're talking about probably upwards of 10,000 people. And that took place in the Gentile territory where uh, people who were not Jews lived. And then he returned to the place and the people who he had previously withdrawn from in uh, Matthew 15, 21. The people that he had withdrawn from were the religious leaders of the Jews who were actually coming after Jesus like a pack of wolves. They were coming on the attack. Really, they were coming to do what they've done immediately after he returns, and that is to test him, to test him. In verse 1, we see that begin, where it says, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, when I was a kid in kids' church growing up, we had this song that went something like, I don't want to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be a Pharisee, because a Pharisee ain't fair, you see? I don't want to be a Pharisee. And then hold on, it's not over yet. I don't want to be a Sadducee. I don't want to be a Sadducee, because a Sadducee is sad, you see? I don't want to be a Sadducee. And that song is hideous, uh, (laughs) awful. But it sure etched that into my mind, right? Who are these guys? Who are the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Now, the Pharisees, if you've been around the last few weeks, we've been talking a lot about them. I mean, even throughout Matthew's gospel, the strictest sect of Judaism at the time, they believed that if they followed the law of God seriously, then they would basically usher in the coming Messiah, and he would arrive uh, through that and So they had very, very strict rule following. They added extra rules to the other rules so that you made sure that those rules didn't get broken. And and though they were a religious group, they were also intensely political. The, The Pharisees had an interest, yes, in the coming Messiah, but their interest was ultimately an interest in Israel's freedom from foreign nations. And so their hearts were far from God, Jesus said repeatedly. The Sadducees, on the other hand, were quite different. They were a powerful aristocratic class. They were very wealthy. Uh, They were at the top of the social ladder, if you will. And they oversaw everything that was going on with the temple in Jerusalem. But their involvement with the temple also meant that they were involved in politics. Doesn't really make sense to us in a world where we see things the church and state being separate, but this is how it worked in their day, and they comprised the majority of the Jewish governing body who made sure to enforce Jewish law in a state that was occupied by the Romans. And so in order to do that, they had to live in constant compromise with the Roman occupation. They had to constantly be compromising and living according to what that empire would approve of. And so their doctrine was also lenient. It was also compromising. In fact, one, a few strange little notes about the Sadducees and what they believed is, one, they denied God's involvement in everyday life. Sounds a lot like deism. 
They denied the afterlife, so they believe that when you died, your soul ceased to exist, basically. There's no uh, penalty or reward in the afterlife. And of course, since they didn't believe in an afterlife, they also didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, which the Pharisees definitely did. And lastly, they denied the existence of a spiritual world, so angels and demons and that sort of a thing. And so they're very materialistic, if you will, and they had a very materialistic view of humanity and how we are to live our lives. And, And so just to kind of break things down Hopefully this is helpful. Think about things in terms of a grid or or a chart. Here's how I would categorize the Pharisees and the Sadducees. In terms of doctrine, the Pharisees were rigid. They were very strict, right? They had all these rules and just hardcore around doctrine. Only it wasn't because they loved God, remember. It was so that they could control people so that they could look better than other people, so they could see themselves as superior over other people. So their rigid doctrine was really about their own self-superiority. Then the Sadducees, on the other hand, are, their doctrine was lenient, but what was their motivation? It was so that they could gain greater and greater degrees of power over people. The cultural engagement, the way that they viewed how they are supposed to work in the world, the Pharisees were all about separatism. It was all about, we're the good guys, those are the bad guys over there, we've got this thing right, we've got this thing figured out, and so we need to get as far away from the bad guys over there as we possibly can. On the other hand, the the, the Sadducees saw their cultural engagement as social elitism, basically. They wanted to climb that ladder. They wanted to gain greater degrees of power over people and basically rule the world. How about politics? The Pharisees saw themselves as what we would use the term nationalists today. So their view was if they could just get the poli- uh, sorry, if they could just get uh, the the state Israel to follow their religious rules and this whole state was following those rules then politically they would have freedom from Uh, the Romans. And the Sadducees, on the other hand, it was all about syncretism. It was all about, okay, let's basically turn this into our religion. We're going to to work with the Romans and, and intermingle our religious views with the political views of the Romans who are occupying us. So that's the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And whenever I think of these groups, I cannot help but think of how many striking parallels we see with Christian fundamentalists and Christian progressives. Just take a look at this for one quick second. I mean, really, ultimately, we have the same sets of categories, rigid doctrine with fundamentalists, lenient doctrine with progressive Christians, the the view of separating from the world with fundamentalist Christians, but the view of trying to fit in with the social hierarchy with progressive Christians. Politically, the fundamentalists lean towards nationalism and the progressive Christians lean towards secretism. And you might be like, great, what do I care? What, <laughs> what is the point of all of this? We're looking at charts and graphs and all this stuff. Here's why I'm sharing this with you. Jesus is going to warn his disciples to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And I think there are really similar ways in which 
he would, beware, he would warn us to beware of the teaching of these two groups as well. Because when, later, when we're hearing Jesus say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we shouldn't hear him say, beware of these doctrines and these beliefs of first century Jews that all of you today are so prone to believing, right? That's not what his intention is. As it pertains to us, we need to be thinking, and Jesus would be telling us, beware of the ways in which these characteristics that were present there might be present in your day, in, in the church today as well. Now, we're going to come back to that later, so don't, don't worry. We'll, we'll hit that in much more detail. There's a lot more to unpack there. But I want to come back to the story first, okay? And, and what we have to think about when we're recognizing the story and these guys coming to test Jesus is how weird it is that the Sadducees and the Pharisees are working together on anything. I mean, these, are, these guys are diametrically opposed. They're polar opposites in so many ways. In fact, later on in the Bible, in Acts chapter 23, the Apostle Paul incites a riot when these two groups are in the room together just by talking about the resurrection of the dead. He like drops this bomb in the middle of the room and it goes off and you just see everybody light up. I mean, it's explosive. So what could possibly unite two bitterly opposed groups? What's that? Hatred. That's right. A common enemy, right? Pragmatism. Let's work together so that we can both defeat them, that one that we hate. And, and who is that? That's Jesus. And why did they want Jesus stopped? Because in different ways, for different reasons, he threatened each of their movements. Jesus, his movement was growing fast. They could not contain it. It was like a wildfire. And their power was being taken away from them. And their prestige was being taken away from them. And people were beginning to question the teachings of these other guys. And they're, they're pissed. So they come in, and they're both there to test Jesus and ask him for a sign from heaven. And the demand for a sign ultimately was coming from a skeptical heart. A skeptical heart, which Jesus is going to address here in the answer. Here's what he says. When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red, and in the morning it will be stormy today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jodah. So he left them and departed. Now, don't miss what's being said here. Don't get confused by all the meteorological stuff because it, it is a little convoluted if, you, if you're focusing on those things. The point that Jesus is making is that he has already given them enough signs that he is the Messiah that, that, that they just are choosing not to see. It's voluntary. And, and Jesus is telling them that he's already proven his authority as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, through all these amazing things he's been doing. He's been teaching, right? He's been healing. He's been working these miracles. We heard about the 4,000 earlier, but he also fed the 5,000. The total with women and children at both of those could have been 30,000 people he fed from a few baskets. I mean, what other signs 
could somebody possibly need? Jesus has already given everything that someone would need. Well, he says he will give one more sign. There's one additional sign, he says, but it's going to be the sign of Jonah. What's that? Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, Jesus was in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And just as Jonah was rescued from death and it became a sign that his message was actually from God, Jesus' death and resurrection would be the sign that he is from God. But even as great of a sign as Jesus' resurrection is, as much as it is absolutely undeniable proof that he is the Son of God and the Messiah and the Savior of the world, it still won't convince people whose hearts are skeptical. It still won't convince people whose hearts are hard to this day. It wasn't just then. And so we, we need to reckon with this truth. God's greatest sign has already come And so what are we going to do with it? Are we going to believe or are our hearts too skeptical today? So often today, even though we've got all this distance and time and and geography between us and the Pharisees and Sadducees, so often we, we are just like them. We can interpret patterns in weather, if you will. We can, we can interpret the patterns that we see in weather, but we can't interpret what God is doing in the world. Now, I should say we can usually interpret patterns in the weather. Uh, I don't know about you, but I kind of wonder in Seattle half the time if our meteorologists are smoking something because it's like, what? That is so not what's going I can look at my weather app and look outside and be like, no, that's not at all what's happening right now. But still, every morning when I get dressed, I, I double check the weather app right? Because it, it, it is fairly, mostly reliable. And I, I want to see if I need to change anything about what I'm wearing based on how the weather's changed, right? Is it going to rain today? How cold is it? All that kind of thing. And if you think about it, it's pretty incredible that we can foresee the weather and, and the patterns and even as far out as we can. I mean, like 10 days, right? Humans have achieved some incredible things with science and engineering, and that's kind of what we're talking about when we're talking about interpreting the weather patterns. God has given us as humans the agency to do that. It's amazing. But Jesus' point is there's a difference between intelligence and godly wisdom. These two things are very different. And some of the most intelligent people on earth are spiritual fools. In other words, some of the most intelligent people on earth are like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Jesus described them as saying they were evil and adulterous. Now, They weren't necessarily cheating on their wives. That's not what he means by adulterous. But what he meant was that they weren't being faithful to God. This reoccurring theme that we see all over the place in Scripture, that marriage is a reflection of the committed relationship that God has with his people. And so when we reject God, when our values are out of whack with God's values, it's like we have 
betrayed our marriage vows to him. We commit spiritual adultery. And Jesus is saying that is what leads to denying the signs that are flashing in our faces. Hearts that are evil and spiritually adulterous. Skeptical hearts. A heart that says, yeah, Jesus, I know you did all that stuff. Never mind all that stuff. Give me more. Jesus, I will believe in you if you fill in the blank. But you know, Jesus was not willing to do things on their terms. And he's not willing to do things on our terms either. I, whenever we get into a story like this about Jesus giving signs and being tested, I, I can't help but think of that picture of a circus bear, right? That circus bear is just being commanded and, and, and is being obedient to hop up on that ball and do whatever its master, its trainer says to do. Jesus is going, I'm not your circus bear. There's already ample reason I've given you to believe in me. I've already given you the proof, and now it's up to you to deal with it. And so I wonder today, friends who are with us, friends who are watching this online, where's your heart at with Jesus? Do you have a skeptical heart? A heart that's not willing to believe? If that's you, I'm glad that you've come here because I hope that Trinity can become the kind of community where you can belong with us where you can encounter the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, and where you can go from a place of skepticism to a place of faith. That's our heart. Can I get an amen, church? We want that for you. And that's what Jesus means in verse 3 when he says you can interpret the signs of the times. That's what it would mean. It would mean to not, not to test him, but to actually surrender to Jesus' authority as your teacher. Not to test him, but to repent and believe that he's the Messiah. And so Jesus then warns his disciples of what can happen when you follow these religious leaders. Verses 5 through 12. I know we heard this all read. I'm going to read it again since it's been a while. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it amongst themselves, saying, We brought no bread. Anybody else reading at this point and you're like, duh, like, what are you, are you guys seriously talking about bread? Anyway, that was what I was doing. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing amongst yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive, do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, right? We referenced that. Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they understood that he did not, finally, right? They finally understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Sometimes the disciples are like the three stooges, right? Or the 12 stooges, right? Which is too bad because while we're laughing at them and while we're pointing the finger at them, in many ways they're the ones who are holding a mirror up to us. 
because we are just like them. That's a huge part of their role as the disciples. It's to teach us how we struggle to follow Jesus. The disciples' lessons are also our lessons. And so Jesus says to them, friends, he says, Oh, you of little faith. And I wonder how much he might say that about us. Oh, you of little faith. Now, we might have expected Jesus in this story in particular to say, Oh, you of little intelligence, right? <laughs> because it seems so obvious as I'm reading it what Jesus is trying to get at. But again, that's not the problem. Your problem and my problem is not a lack of intelligence. Well, your problem isn't a lack of intelligence. Mine, on the other hand, no, I'm just playing. No, 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 Jesus is saying this is not an intelligence issue. This is a faith issue. Anytime Jesus used this phrase, little faith, which he used a lot for his disciples, it was always a situation where they were failing to trust him for a physical need, okay? So anytime Jesus said, you have little faith, it's because they failed to trust him for a physical need. And while we can tend to think of faith as being this sort of abstract thing, like a feeling or a psychological thing, right? While I may include that, it's, it, the point is, is that faith is always practical. It always leads to some practical thing. In this case, it had to do with bread. And Jesus is saying, come on, guys, seriously? Are you really worried about bread? Are you really worried that you're going to have enough food? Didn't you see what just happened? Have you forgotten already? We just got done feeding 30,000 people in the last week. I'm trying to teach you something deeper. Don't you get it? They're worried about bread, but, but there are much more important things to pay attention to than bread, Jesus says. God's going to take care of your material needs, O oh, you of little faith. Watch and beware of the leaven or the yeast or the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Friends, I have a question for you. Do you believe that lies and our souls are like yeast and flour, that once they're intermingled, it's nearly impossible to separate the two? Do you believe that you and I are susceptible to believing lies? I hope you do, because we are. And so let's, let's just spend the remainder of our time applying this to that problem. What distortions are present in your own heart and life? That's one question I want to address. And then what are you doing to watch and beware? So as we consider what distortions might be present in our own heart and life, I want to I actually address that chart that we looked at earlier. You might remember this one, right? Where there, there are just these things that are pulling us in these other directions away from God's plans and purposes, away from the story of Jesus and himself. Because remember, we said when Jesus warns his disciples to beware of the leaven and the uh, of the Pharisees and, and the Sadducees, we can't hear him saying, beware of that first century Jewish teaching that you're also prone to believing. Rather, we have to think of it more in terms of Beware, watch out for teaching that contradicts who Jesus truly is, teaching that contradicts Jesus' teaching, especially 
when it presents itself as Christian, okay? And I pointed out the similarities between the fundamentalist Christians and the Pharisees and the progressive Christians and the Sadducees, right? And what we have to see is that this is a battle of worldviews that's going on. And it's one that's still going on today. And it's a battle between those two things, really, and the gospel. And so I want to just ask you a few questions sort of in line with these things, these categories, to get you thinking and and reflecting on your heart. So as it pertains to doctrine, do you tend to believe that if we can just be rigid enough doctrinally, we will be safe from all of the bad guys? We will be safe from all of the, the wrong thinking that's out there. If we could just be rigid enough doctrinally, or maybe the, you're, you're like, no, 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 of course we can't be stringent and, and restrictive. No, we, we have to be lenient. That's going to, to save us. Can we, can we just be lenient enough to keep an open mind, right? Or, or maybe what I've heard countless times from people, this Bible needs to evolve with the times, right? Oh, man, how have I heard that so many times? Have these views of the Sadducees and the Pharisees crept into your heart and into your life? Or how about how you think about culture, how you engage with our culture? Do you think that the solution is for Christians to separate ourselves and have nothing to do with unbelievers so that all the bad guys don't get on us, right? Or, on the other end of things, Do you think that we should join the social elite, that we should show through the ways in which we're interacting socially that we're really good people? Maybe sometimes not needing the gospel to show that. Just be popular enough that maybe somehow Jesus or Christianity will be palatable to other people. That's what tends to happen on the other side of that social elitism. Have these views crept into your heart and your life? Or how about your politics? Do you believe that we will solve our nation's problems by making our political system more Christian? Do you believe that God's purpose in this world is strictly to make us a great nation? Or do you think that the solution, maybe you're on the total other side, the solution is to say, let's just make political activism our religion. Let's just do politics, really syncretism, with the world. How have these views crept into your heart and your life? Now, in a moment, I want to tell you of ways that the way of Jesus is much more beautiful and much better than these ways, Okay? But before we do, let's ask one more big question to kind of let this sink into our hearts. What are you doing to watch and beware? Watch and beware. And I'll be the first of us to admit how hard this is to do in a day and age where we've got limitless podcasts and blogs and websites. And you don't have to go to anybody who knows something more than you do to talk to them directly. You don't have to go, you know read a book that took a lot of effort to edit and to publish and stood the test of time before you read it. But rather, you can go online and you can find anything you want, anything that scratches the itch in your ear, anything 
that, that answers the question that you're trying to answer, no matter how it answers it. We have an absurd amount of information right there at our fingertips at all times. And while I got to admit that is a huge blessing, and, and we can be so grateful for that, I, I've been blessed by it. Even my faith has been enriched by the resources that are available to me and to us every single day. We have to acknowledge at the same time, right next to those resources, on the same internet, are resources that are full of poison and distortions. Amen? Amen? Okay, okay. Right alongside of it. And so how do we discern the difference? It's really hard. One way that we can think about this is considering, to use Jesus' analogy here, consider what kind of bread are you eating? What are you feeding your soul? You know, our tendency is to, just like the disciples, focus only on our material needs and completely neglect to recognize that we are feeding our souls all day, every day, and not even consider what am I feeding my soul. And so think about these things. Are you being intentional about the content that you consume? Are you being deliberate about it? If someone went into your search history, right, would you be like, man, I don't even remember looking at that, <laughs> right? Are you being intentional about the content you consume? And then what influences you? Who's teaching you? Who are you learning from? And I, I give you a few to consider who you might be learning from. The leaven of the social media influencers, right? We aren't dealing much with things outside of the church, but I think it has crept into the church, the leaven of Disney, as, a, as I often call it, right? When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Oh, yeah, that's totally the gospel, right? And while none of us necessarily believe that, if you were to ask us, anything my heart desires can come true, oh, yeah, totally, I believe that. We really live our lives in light of that. How about the leaven of the social, or the, the leaven of the media outlets that you follow, or the leaven of the fundamentalists or the progressives like we talked about? Who influences you? Who are you learning from? Who or what are you allowing yourself to be shaped by? And are those things nurturing your love for Jesus, nurturing your love for His ways, or are they slowly maybe subtly leading you away from him without even recognizing it's just one, one inch at a time. Now, Jesus tells us to watch and beware. And, and what that can lead us into is in a place of like fear, right? Like, uh, I got to watch and beware. All this stuff is coming to get me, right? And it, and it is important that we're awake, uh, spiritually, and it is important that we are mindful of these things, but at the same time, we can't be fearful, okay? We can't be fearful. Fear is actually what often leads someone down the paths of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Here's what I mean. The, the Pharisaical way of thinking is, I'm afraid of believing false teaching. I'm going to go duck my head into the sand and feel safe in this 
in this doctrine over here. And before you know it, you've created a Christian echo chamber. And all you can hear is the same voices who are in agreement with you and your tribe. And now you've completely missed all of this godly teaching that's over here. And you've gotten more and more polarized from your brothers and sisters who are outside of that box. Or the, the, the fear of the Sadducees. I'm afraid at looking irrelevant to the world. I'm afraid of looking bigoted to some people. I got called a bigot this week by somebody for my views. Somebody who I love. I'm afraid of doing, I'm afraid of that reality. I can't do that. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to adapt the Bible to my needs, right? Forgetting that the words of the serpent in the garden were, did God really say? Just questioning, questioning, questioning over and over and over again rather than accepting what God teaches us. And so what we need is not fear to keep us safe and to beware. What we need is God's wisdom and we need faith. Wisdom from God's Spirit so that we do understand His Word and love His Word and, and have discernment for all those fuzzy things that we're having trouble understanding, but also faith to then believe in that truth and embrace that truth rather than rejecting it. And more than all of that, what we need is the gospel. Amen? Come on, church. I know, I know I've been talking a long time, and everybody wake up. We need the gospel, right? Yes. We need the truth that Jesus is better than the false teaching that we just looked at. He's better than all the other things that might lure us in. In fact, as it pertains to doctrine, Jesus is our true teacher. He is orthodox in his doctrine rather than being rigid or lenient. That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and he is the measure by which we judge all truth. Amen? Amen? And a love for orthodoxy isn't a love for doctrine as an end in itself, but it's a love for the God who is revealed through it. Does your belief lead you to deeper degrees of love for God? Then you'll know you're in the category that Jesus is working in, in this orthodox way. And Jesus is better than the ways that we might otherwise see cultural engagement as Christians. Instead of withdrawing from culture, instead of seeking to win a popularity contest, Jesus, our true teacher, he lived differently while remaining immersed in the world around him. As he prayed in his high priestly prayer, Jesus was in the world, but he was never of the world. And he invites us there with him. He invites us to walk that tightrope with him, even though it's hard, and sometimes you feel imbalanced in the world, not of the world, enjoying that tension that we must live in, if you're there, of faithfulness to him without neglecting the fact that we as the church are the presence of Christ on this earth. That is the task that he has called us to, and we have a job to do. And so we cannot withdraw and we cannot just merge lanes with the world. The world needs to encounter Him and they do that by us being present. Can I get an amen? Which also means that we're going to get hatred from people on both sides. 
when you walk in that tightrope. That's why it's so wobbly. Because there are going to be people who are, who are not going to like that. But Jesus, friends, is better. His way is better. Jesus is our true teacher who doesn't fall into the traps of nationalism or syncretism. Why? Because his politics are global. And he never merges lanes with the politics of the world because he is the king of the world. He's the king of a worldwide benevolent monarchy. His kingdom is not limited by the borders of nations or the divisions between people. He generously gives of himself and he welcomes anyone into his kingdom who will surrender to him as Lord. And so we know that political parties, they come and go, right? Nations come and go. Power comes and goes. But this king will reign forever. Amen? Jesus is the teacher you should trust. He's the teacher you should believe. He's our true teacher. So we've got to beware of teaching that contradicts him. And I want to give you a couple questions that you can wrestle with your community group in. What leaven do you need to beware of believing? And in what ways is Jesus' teaching better than that leaven? Let's pray and let's respond together. Jesus, as we look at who you are, our Messiah, our Savior, the Son of God, the King of the world, our true teacher, we see that you are so much better than all the other things that are trying to get our attention, that are trying to draw us away from you. But Jesus, we acknowledge that it is hard sometimes to beware it's hard sometimes to recognize and to, to understand the ways that our hearts are prone to wander from you. And so would you grant your spirit to us to give us this wisdom and discernment that we so desperately need in the day-to-day, but also would you allow us to, as a result, love you more and more and more and see you as better and better and better so that we can share you with the world around us. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.